And if you're joining us for the first time here this morning or haven't been around for a while, we're in the second week of this really practical series uh, in the area of money, an area that churches often uh, a little uncomfortable talking about, that we are often in our own personal lives queasy about. And so we're trying to tackle this in a way that's both biblical and really helpful and turns down the squeamish, squeamishness factor quite a bit. So, so tonight we are, man, haven't done this this morning because you, you guys are really important in the morning. Uh, we're looking at this area of generosity and how revolutionary that can be to uh, to defeat greed in our lives, to sort of loosen the grip that possessions and wealth can sometimes take hold, as Scott talked about last week. And as we talk about this revolution, I want to remind us of what Scott was saying last week, that often we think of a revolution, and, you know, it's that, it's that raised fist, and, and Scott said that is not the, uh, the posture, the gesture. What was the, what was the posture? It was that. And so keep that in mind as we're talking this morning, that that's what we're going to look more practically at. So I know in my own life, generosity, uh, and Scott's confessional prayer was, was great, but I know for me, both before becoming a Christian in my teen years, for a few years after, and I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit, even the first couple years when I was a youth pastor, my, I was much more like that. It's mine. Leave it alone. Uh, fortunately, I was married to a wonderful woman, Lisa, who is an evening person, uh, so... You may never see her if you only come in the morning. Uh, she uh, had much better habits with, with tithing and giving offerings and challenging me in that area. And it really wasn't until, until God did some extra stuff in my life and I saw the value of, of loosening my grip. Uh, so we're going to look at some of that today. But uh, I think for each of us, that can be a bit of a struggle. To not merely understand that everything is God's, but then to start being generous with it, to, to let it be used by God in new ways. And uh, some of you may recall we did a confessional piece last week. Again, if you're here for the first time, we don't do this all the time, but we had people confess their financial sins. And everyone stood up and said what they made and their debt. No. Did a little anonymous survey that you guys did. And next week, Pastor Brian's going to give you the... the dirty details of that survey. Uh, I just want to tease you a little bit with one of the pieces, though, that might say something about us as a gathered community here and some of the folks who took part in that. It was just in this area of, of giving, of being generous. And one of the questions asked, do you give regular financial donations? Uh, just in general, do you do something more than randomly that you give to something? And Pleased to say that 79% of you said that yes, you on a regular basis give towards something. And then 21% of you marked no. You were honest and said, don't do it, or it's sporadic and random, or no way, it's, it's mine. Uh, then the next question had more to do with this biblical concept of tithing, where it asked, do you give financially 10% or more to a local church, whether it's artisan church or, or a home church or someplace else? And in this case, 52% of you, 52 of you said yes, and 48% uh, marked no, uh, so no one just left that blank. And so with those in mind, I was rather encouraged that we got a pretty good foundation maybe to start with, that, that things aren't dire here in some ways, um, but it is helpful to maybe compare to some other statistics. Um, there's a lot of studies that get done about how American Christians in general give, and 
they always fall between 2 and 3%. So on average, American Christians, self-described uh, Christians, give less than 3% of their income. So we're doing pretty good, right? We should you know, pat ourselves on the back. We are much better people than them, let's be honest. Um, in, in 2000, uh, George Barnett did a survey. And in this one, of, uh, of self-professed, sort of born-again Christians was the category, one-third, I don't know what numbers that would be in my hand, but one-third <laughs> said, uh, said they, they tithe regularly. So we're blowing them out of the water. Again, we are much better people. Um, here's where even our 52% number, though, mm, makes me a little concerned. Because when they went back and, and sort of drilled down with those, uh, those one-third that said they gave and actually did some sampling of what their actual giving was compared to uh, what their household income was, turned out that only one-eighth of them actually tithed, even though a third of them said they did. So I'm not saying anyone's lying about the 52%. Probably what's more likely, and Brian will talk about this next week, is a lot of us don't really know what we do with our money. And, and so we may be surprised if we find some of those things out. So with all that in mind, it seems like we've got a pretty good starting place, but some areas to be challenged in. And I suspect that when Scott did the prayer, as I talk about these statistics, that we can all think of how in our lives, being generous, being giving, doing something that's as revolutionary as, as letting go of stuff and letting it be used by God is not something that comes real easily. And so what I want us to do is look at this great passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And there's Bibles there available if you want to flip there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, in fact, I'm going to look at the whole chapter. It's a short chapter. And I'm doing that for a few reasons. One of them is because there's so many passages of scripture that deal with finances and money and possessions, it can be really easy for a pastor to come up here and say, here's all my ideas and here's a verse. And here's some other things you should do, and here's a proof text. And if you just do with your this with your money, I will give you a proverb. And so instead what I'd like to do is, is sort of soak in a full passage of scripture. Uh, and hopefully we'll pick up some things that way. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And what's going on here is the Apostle Paul is following up on a challenge. A challenge he gave these folks about a year ago in, in the Corinthian church. To, uh, to give this special offering to meet the needs of, I believe, the church in Jerusalem that was going through some incredibly difficult times. And, uh, and so he's following up. And so let's go through this passage, and I'll pause in a few po points. And if you like story, this will be good because we're going to flow through it. If you're more of those linear, need, need bullet points, we'll try to pull a few of those out, okay? But it's going to be on you to put it together. All right? So we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's just start out with verse 1 and 2. And Paul starts out in this section by saying, Now it is not necessary for me to write to you. Which is one of those affirming things that I agree with too. As I just said, for me, the, way, the reason we're doing this money series is not because it's necessary in the sense that there's rampant financial sin and, and just crazy foolishness with money. That even as you guys did the survey last week, there's some encouraging indications in how finances happen here. I mean, you can always do more with more money, no doubt about that. 
but there's not major red flags. So I want to put your mind at ease on that one, that it's not necessary. Like this isn't one of those you know, special messages for you guys who need to hear it. It's in some ways to keep us from getting there and end up in a bad place. So I, I agree with Paul. It's not necessary for me to do this message this morning. And some of you are saying, well, why are you? Just like Paul, he keeps writing, though. Uh, he says, for I know your eagerness. Uh, it's not necessary for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints, you know, to meet these needs. For I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, the area they were in, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. And I affirm that, too. I love kind of bragging on Artisan Church to other pastors and folks I've written to. In areas like this, how eager you guys are when we challenge you to, uh, to be serving in the community or, or to take on big tasks like, like doing a morning service. Uh, this is crazy talk for us to be here in the morning. Um, and I just love telling others about uh, just that I'm proud, I hope without sinning, to be part of pastoring with a church like this. So again, that's Paul's heart in this, mine as well. And then he continues on. Verse, uh, chapter 9, continuing verse 3 through 5. He says, so first he says, I don't need to write to you. But then he keeps writing. And then he says, but. You're like, oh, come on. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. So, and that's where I think a little godfather lilt comes into Paul's voice. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised. <laughs> so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift, not as an extortion. You know, you're like, yeah. So apparently Paul's done a little loop through Italy, got a couple uh, Guido types here, and they're going to bust some kneecaps if the offering doesn't you know, just overflow. Well, I don't think that's what Paul's doing. I hope we're not doing that. But there are some principles buried in there. Uh, you know, one, uh, Paul is very Reagan-esque here. And if you're old enough to get that reference, he, he trusts but verifies, you know. He, uh, he's, he wants to make sure that things are in order. So, so one of the principles is that it's very pastoral uh, to take a bit of a godfather view of your congregation. No, it's very pastoral to care and to challenge. So that's one of the things. But it has to be balanced out with this idea that it's voluntary. That at the moment this stuff becomes extortion, it, it loses the storyline. It stops being about Jesus and what he wants us to do in the world. It starts being about um, measuring up or meeting someone's expectation or I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to go to hell. Uh, pick your thing. Not a good place to give from. So there's some principles there. It should be voluntary. Paul continues. 2 Corinthians 9 going on in verse 6 through 10. He says, the point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's stop there for a moment. So Paul just got done saying that uh, he doesn't need to write to them, but he's writing anyways, uh, but that it really should be voluntary. He's even said again, you need to make up your own mind. But he wants to be clear that as we make up our own mind, as we choose you know, whether this is how we go into the world or this, with the open hand, that there's consequences. So he doesn't want them to be foolish and, and ignorant or not know that, in fact, the choices we then do make on our own have different results. He says real clearly, those who, who just in small ways invest, don't be shocked or surprised or angry at God that the return on that is smaller as well. And it may be okay to say, that's, that's where I'm at and I'm okay with that. And Paul's just saying, that's the way it'll happen. But there's this other principle as well, that those who are more generous, to use the metaphor, so more abundantly and bountifully, that that's going to come back in more bountiful ways. Um, but then he reiterates, but you need to make up your own mind. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not as though it's extortion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that cheerful giver caveat can be one of those, those things that tells us what actually is going on in our heart. Now, it's not to say that if you give and don't feel good about it, that you should stop giving. Though sometimes that would be the best thing to do. Because you may be confusing your giving with, with God being, you know, okay with you. He's not. Well, I don't know if he is or not, but probably isn't. If, if your heart is just, I, I think he hates, no. He may not uh, really appreciate the fact that you're giving grudgingly or that your heart is really kind of hard and you think you're doing him a favor by tipping him for the good service he's given you and you're thinking well it's, it's great this week so I'm going to give him 9% you know your waitress gets more um, but if that attitude isn't there that's a really good gut check that something else may be going on that there are some things that you haven't dealt with in your life you may not be a cheerful giver because you feel like you can't trust the church you're a part of, good or bad. You know, there could be all kinds of reasons. So let that be a red flag that if your giving is, that something else needs to be addressed. Um, but then Paul goes on and says, here's, here's the promise that goes with this. As we join in this revolution of God to be generous and see what returns he brings to that, uh, in our life and the lives of others. He picks up again in verse 8 and says, And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having... How much? Can you guys say it with me? By always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. I know for me... I would much prefer that verse to say, and by always having way more than I could possibly use or need, then I can finally give some of it away. <laughs> it's like, mm, no. By having enough to give generously. 
He says, as is written, speaking of God, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So there's some other principles there as Paul is saying this. What have we learned so far? This should be voluntary. That's pastoral and, and good for pastors and each other to check up and say, how are we doing this area of finances? As we said at the start of the series, one of the most deeply spiritual parts of your life, the thing that most indicates your values, your priorities, how you serve God, is our money. I mean, there's a dollar sign tied to almost everything we do. And so it's, it's important to deal with this stuff. So it's voluntary. There's consequences and, in a sense, rewards. We'll get into whether that's if you give a dollar, you make ten. That's, that's not what scripture says. But there's, there's a correlation between what we put out there, what we reap, and what we receive in our lives. And then he says, and understand, God's the one that's providing this. That you're not giving something that you made up all on your own. That God gave it to you in the first place. And that he provides enough so that you can give out of that. That he could certainly give to everyone exactly what they need. But he has chosen to give to some more, not so they can have more, but so they can share it with others. Because apparently he puts a higher value on community than on everyone having all the stuff they need. And then he says, as he supplies and multiplies what you give, what, what does it increase? Do you have, can you buy a better car? We have more money in your bank account? I don't know. What it does say will increase, though, is this harvest of your righteousness. Now, he's not talking there about this sort of accounting ledger that he has in heaven saying, oh, they gave pretty well this month, you know, a little more to the righteousness call. What, what it's saying there is, is as God is making the world right, as the king of God's breaking through, we can either be part of that or not. And the more we're a part of that, the more we're part of that harvest of what God's doing in the world. And our generosity is a piece of that. So let me stop right here from the scripture passage for a moment. Because all of us come to these ideas with some pretty good excuses, with some excellent rationale about how this passage of scripture in particular really applies to the person one row over or someone else or later in my life or not this season. And let me share with you a couple excuses I hear as a pastor. And I want to put right up front that no one here, it's just this is evening service people that have said this, no. No one at Artisan Church. And you're my favorite service. Don't tell the evening service. And don't listen to the podcast in the evening. Um, that no one at Artisan has personally told me this. So I don't have, you know, like a name in mind. Nonetheless, some of you are going to squirm, which I like. Um, but here's two of the excuses I hear. The first one is, do you know how little I make? Oh. Talk about being generous and giving and crazy ideas like, like the tithe being this biblical you know, baseline standard for giving, that 10%. Do you know how little I give? That 100% is not enough. You want me to then only have 90% left over? It's a compelling argument, isn't it? 
for most of you, you think it's very compelling. It's the one you use. You know. All right, that's one excuse. We'll address it in a moment. Here's the other excuse, though. So if we were to assume for a moment that that was legitimate, uh, here's the other excuse I hear. Do you know how much I make? <laughs> and if I were to give 10% of that, that would be a huge amount. And uh, No. No, that's... So apparently only Goldilocks is tithing. <laughs> that's just that one person out there that's like, hey, you who, guys who make too little, I got you covered. You who make too much, you would not believe this, but I make exactly the right amount of money. Now this whole tithing thing just makes perfect sense. If this were a picture Bible, my mug would be right next to every verse because this is only for me. This is great. And I'm glad to give. So you who make too little, I got you covered. You who make too much, don't worry about it. I don't think that's what's intended. So how do you respond to that? Well, for those who make too little, my heart breaks for you. But I wouldn't want you to be left in a place of not knowing how God tends to work in those areas. But here's some possible things. Now, I want to say up front that there's always exceptions in some way. So if you're the exception, I do not mean my words to crush you even further. I'm speaking to the majority of people, which again, most of you are in the majority. Thus the word, majority. Some of what happens, say you're a college student. I'm just gonna you know, pull something out, couldn't apply here ever. But you're a college student, you make 100 bucks a week at your part-time job, and you're thinking, if I were to give $10, that's one less pizza, that's, um, you know, I can have no social life that involves going to a movie. Uh, pick your thing. And you're wondering why you have too little, and a few things may be going on. If this is sort of the way we join the revolution, closed-fisted, why would God ever give anyone another friggin' dime that's closed-fisted? And so sometimes we struggle with too little because our hands are never open to receive more. And that sowing sparingly, hey, that could be part of it. Not always, but often. The other thing I often find for those who struggle with money, and this actually can be lots of money or little money, but I find it a lot in those who have the I make too little, that often they really have no idea how much they really make and especially have no idea how much they really spend. That their finances are in such chaos that the idea of giving 10% they don't realize they're giving, you know, 30% to, you know, to their grocery habit that they could easily change or, you know, pick your thing and go to the Buck movie three weeks later instead of, you know, the Friday night first run. And then all of a sudden they'd have all this money show up. You may want to do the, you know, artisanchurch.com slash register for that money course. I would highly recommend that. So those could be a couple things going on with the I make too little. And until we take those steps of faith that may require getting a handle on our finances, trusting God, a lot of us are going to stay in that I make too little position, I, I think. How about the, do you know how much I make? I make too much to give 10% of it away. That's a tough one too. And I was trying to think what might be at the heart of that. And I'll just pick out one. There may be others. But it probably not only shows a lack of trust in God with that, but really a mistrust of the church that someone's chosen to be a part of. 
that I don't want to give them this much money because I don't trust them. That sometimes might be a very wise thing. But then I'd add to that, yet you're going to trust them with rightly handling God's word and not leading you astray. You're going to trust them to describe the heaven and hell and that there is a difference and, and here's how you avoid the one and secure your place in the other. You're going to trust them with that stuff, but you know your role, you don't want them to touch? Okay, you know, I guess. Um, it begs the question. Now, if you're in a church that's just jacked up, screwing around with money, doing horrible things, get out. Don't trust them with your soul, with scripture, with doctrine, or your money. Run. If you think that's something going on here, you call us to task. We have a leadership team. We have a congregational form of government, so people who are members call shots. We have checks and balances. More balances than checks, but we got, we got them both. Um, so some things to think about. But then uh, Paul wraps up this chapter here. Again, giving some more promises and reinforcing these ideas. And he says, as we participate in this, as we do the revolutionary work of, of letting go, of being generous, that there's some incredible returns that come from that. He says, picking up in verse 11, he says, And you will be enriched in every way for your great generosity. You'll be enriched in every way. Which sometimes might mean, I found this in seasons of, of my and Lisa's life, my wife, that sometimes we make a sacrifice that we know God's calling us to, that we make it financially. That money then shows up later on. Sometimes. But God's going to enrich us in every way, not always the money way. It may be how we're able to, to purchase something that would have been completely outside our budget, but this deal just shows up. It may be things like having to be creative and then finding when you're creative and you do life with other people and, you know, and, you know we live next door to Scott and Tracy. We own one lawnmower. I only pay for it. Well, I pay for none of the lawnmower. Scott bought that. You know, I bought the play set that... Abel swings on. You find out that sometimes when you have to be very careful with the money God's entrusted to you, you do some creative stuff that has incredible blessings that go with it. But now my life is involved with someone else's that I'm discovering new things. And sometimes you find that the sacrifice you made stays a sacrifice. And it is always hard. And yet you know you're doing something God's called you to. And it's all the more meaningful because it actually cost something. You didn't get a check in the mail or something show up and take care of it. Those could be some of the ways you're enriched. He says, and this enrichment will, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us and for the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. And through the testing of this ministry you glorify God. Paul's saying there that how a church community and those who make up the church community, how we handle money and finances and generosity is part of the test of where God is in our lives. And we want to pass that test, not to earn salvation, but to be told, you know, well done. And for others to praise God because of that, not to pat us on the back. 
But he says, through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience. Now, he's not saying obedience to a pledge amount or obedience to the building campaign appeal. He's not even saying obedience to you know, the biblical standard of tithing 10%. What does he say the obedience is all about? To the confession of the gospel of Christ. That's what's important. This money stuff has to come under that. And in many ways begins to fall in place. But he says, and you're glorifying God by the generosity. That's not the obedience part. That's a response to what God has done. By the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And Paul finishes in a way that they understand in the context there, but that I want to spell out. That indescribable gift is not more money or an easier life or any of those gifts. I love that he's been talking about money, but he says, here's the indescribable gift. And he's speaking of Christ. The one who paid a penalty that has no dollar signs that can even approach that of Christ laying down his life on the cross, picking it up again, inviting us to participate in that life. Rich, poor, middle class, make too little, make too much, Goldilocks, doesn't matter. He paid the price, this indescribable gift. And so it's in light of all that that we respond to God's challenges. And I hope that not only has the Apostle Paul's heart come through on this, I hope you can see he has a really pastoral heart that we joke about him sending the brothers, but he, he's not trying to extort them. And he realizes that if they don't get this right, it's not that merely that something will go undone, but that they will miss out on the blessings of God. And that's a key. That when we don't participate in what God calls us to do in any area of our life, including finances, we miss out on the blessing. But he also says, and sometimes we make this mistake, that I'll put it this way. Sometimes we say, you know what? You're only hurting yourself if you don't do what God asks you to do in these things. Because if you don't do it, he'll make sure it gets done some other way. I'm going to take a little risk here on the heretical line. I'm not sure that's always the case. And I'm actually pretty sure that Scripture gives lots of examples where someone didn't do something God wanted them to do, and it went undone. So there's another piece to this, that as this church responds to a need somewhere else, if they don't, a need goes unmet. And so it's not only missing out on some intangible blessing, but it's not seeing something get done for God's kingdom. And so I hope Paul's heart comes through, and I hope your pastor's heart comes through as well, that Scott, Mike, Brian, and myself, the leadership team, that we are genuinely talking about this stuff. Not because we're, we're short on the budget. In fact, we're not. Like I said, we can spend the money. Don't hold back. We'll find good stuff to do with it. But it doesn't come out of that place. We also have people at all ages 
that are part of Artisan, but we are particularly blessed with folks who are starting out in life. And my God, help us not to have to correct things 20 years down the road. We'd much rather get people started on the right foot. And I can speak from my own life that once I began to do that as a Christian and even as a pastor early on, that the blessings that came into my family's life and what I got to see God doing in the church, in the community, in the world, you don't want to miss out on that. And so I want to close here with, uh, with a little challenge that is a bit of a risk. And Elliot and Pat, would you guys help me? Split those between the two of you. And uh, I'm going to have you pass those out. If you do me a favor of not really looking at this for a second, it's going to be very hard, I understand. But let me, let me explain it something first. I want to do something a little bit risky in that it could be perceived the wrong way, that this, this whole thing has just been a sales pitch and a way to manipulate, um, that, that, again, we're just playing with folks and just want folks' money. So we're taking a risk on that part. But let me tell you the other risk. As a church, we're going to put ourselves on the hook for something here as well. And what this is, is a little challenge. And the front part has the, uh, the try the tithe. Uh, sounds very uh, infomercial. Try the tithe 40-day challenge. And one of the pastor's scripture right there, and there's some other references that I strongly encourage you to check out so you know we're not making this stuff up. But in the book of Malachi, Malachi the prophet has gotten this word from God about how the people have been robbing him with, with not being generous, uh, in particular in the area of, of tithes and offerings. And then God says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. So I want to be clear that God gives these commands that have promises tied to them. And so on the front there, this is just for your own help in the coming days. There's a synopsis of what Brian talked about last week, or what Scott talked about last week, a little tease for what Brian will cover next week, and also what I covered tonight, so that can help you. And then towards the bottom, it says this. It says, one biblical expression of this revolutionary life of generosity is tithing. This giving 10% of our income. And starting next Sunday, January 27, we will ask each follower of Jesus at Artisan Church to try the tithe for 40 days. If you're not a Christian, we do not want your money. And also, if you are a Christian, it doesn't mean we want your money either, but, but we never want there to be confusion that giving towards something makes someone right with God. We want that to be taken care of first. Money will take care of itself, we think. So this is a challenge for those uh, who already are Christ's followers. And here's what it says. This is where, as a church, we're going to be on the hook a little bit. We know it's sometimes unnerving to trust God in new areas of our lives. If, for any reason, at the end of this 40 days, you question your decision, we will gladly return your tithes and offerings. We're, we're dead serious. And we promise it will not be like trying to cancel a credit card or switch long-distance providers or, or you know, 
get a different sort of, uh, I want DSL, not, uh, can we help you with this? Can we send you a fruit basket? What if we, you know, had, had some brothers come over and talk you into uh, our other... <laughs> no, no questions asked. At most it'll be, let us know if there's something you want us to pray for, help you with. Here it is. That's a promise, okay? Which is also why you need to pray about this decision, commit to God what you choose to do, and follow through. So here in the back, this is where the, uh, you know, we sort of put our money where our mouth is, so to speak. You don't have to do this today. This is for next Sunday. This is something for you to take. You will not be sharing this with a pastor. We're not going to put it on a bulletin board. This is just between you and God. And again, great verse there that speaks to this idea. It says, honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruits of all your produce, <laughs> or, or all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That's a great artisan church verse right there, isn't it? Uh, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. And here's the nature of this commitment that you may choose to make. Please hear me. Voluntary gift, make up your own mind, not extortion. This is for you and God to work on, okay? But it says, I make this commitment between myself and God, responding to his invitation to test his promises in scripture in the area of tithing. If you don't read your Bible often, there's some great verses to get it started on this week that are right there. And then it says, for the next 40 days, I will try the tithe in one of the following ways. So I think some of you are certainly in this first category. I have already been tithing regularly and know the blessings of giving to God in his work. I will pray for others who are taking this new step of faith. That may be you. I think a lot of us are in this second group as well, or instead. And this one says, I want to try the tithe at Artisan Church where God has called me. So that assumes something there. If God has not called you to be part of this church, or you're still working that out, this is not for you. We do not want people's money just for the sake of meeting a budget. Either you're part of what God's doing here, or you're not, or you're not yet ready. All good, good things to recognize. Because I want to know God's blessing in this area. And then the final one, boys, we went around on this. This is another risky one to put on here. Because it may be one of those opt-out items in some people's minds. So I want to explain the wording really carefully. There are some folks that neither of the first two really or where you're at. So here's the last one. It says, I recognize that my heart and financial life aren't yet at the place to follow this biblical standard for all followers of Jesus. So stop there. I would love that us talking about money actually got someone to the point of realizing they're not right with God. Forget about the wallet issue. And so it may be a heart issue that... No, you don't feel compelled or interested or motivated to give towards what God's doing. Own up to that. That is so healthy to figure that out. You may be a follower of Jesus, but the whole idea of, God, of Christ's lordship in your life, you know, it's sort of, you know, pick and mix. <laughs> you know, he's lord of my, you know, two hours on a Sunday when I sing to him. Other than that, you know, he doesn't touch a whole lot of the other stuff. Be honest about that. Or your heart may be perfectly in the right place. But your financial life is in such chaos that you can't see your way clear on how you could be generous, do anything. 
And you probably need to be part of that class that takes place mid-March that starts on financial management. And your commitment then is going to be, I commit to pray regularly for the faith to trust God in my finances, because it's a trust issue. And I commit to take real next steps that we're not just wishing something will change, uh, but we'll do something, such as do that class. Real next steps to grow in this area of my life in Christ by God's grace and help. And I would encourage you to literally sign your name on that, even though you're showing it to no one. You already know God knows. It's really helpful to really know that you know what you're doing. And so I hope that that comes from a... Uh, that comes across as, as pastoral care and not extortion, of a desire to see people experience God's blessings and financial freedom that comes with all those areas being worked out. And that uh, you know you have a group of pastors, leadership team, and others who pray for you guys and don't just wish things get better, but open God's word and do things like the course that Brian's gonna lead in a few weeks so that people can experience real freedom in Christ in all areas, including finances. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that your word doesn't skirt around issues, that nails them head on, stuff that actually applies to our lives. And we are encouraged that you are a God who is not distant and indifferent, but comes up close and even meddles in touchy areas like our wallet and our budget how we're generous or not. And we thank you for the promises of Scripture that say as we trust you in these areas, you are faithful and true. To watch over us, to provide for our needs that are just enough, and to give us the joy of, of being one of your ways of blessing others, and seeing your kingdom break through. And that we can be obedient to to the gospel of Christ in our lives. And then let these be expressions of our gratitude for your grace that has saved us from a price we could not pay, death. It offers us life forever, an abundant life that can start right now. I pray you'd show us how to walk in those ways, receive that grace, and the strength and power to follow you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll continue responding to God. You may choose to go to the communion table, tear a piece of bread representing his broken body, dip it in the wine or the juice, and receive that as an act of faith that he will nourish you on this journey. You may not be at that point yet, and you want to just be praying and thoughtful. Recognize the questions you still have. And if you choose to, feel free to tap one of us, myself, Brian, uh, interrupt Mike in the middle of a song and say, I just need some prayer. We're glad to do that. Um, Mike would actually probably put the guitar down. Uh, that's how important that is. So continue worshiping, we pray.